Monica Lewinsky was the headline act, and boy, did she pack a punch, Caro. I'd love to know what would happen now if the public shaming would be more on the most powerful man in the world and not the 24-year-old girl who fell in love with the wrong man. Kevin, now there's a Prime Minister who has not retired gracefully or no. disappeared into the background. It is so dramatic and so sad and so beautifully written and it turns history on its head. Is it violent? It, oh, yeah. It's shocking, shocking, quite shocking. I tell you what, Achilles, it makes it clear from the very beginning that Achilles is not a hero, he's a butcher. Is it like pâtés? Yes, sort of? but it's chunkier than that. So it's like chopped liver. <laughs> What am I? What am I? Chop liver. I love chop liver. <laughs> I love chop liver. It is basically chop liver. But you know what? If I if I passed it around on Saturday and I said to everybody, "Would you like a chop liver sandwich?" They'd all go. Bleh. They would. Don't shoot the messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And welcome, everybody, once again to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm here with my dear friend, Corrie Perkin, the bookseller, the board member, the writer. This is our 108th podcast. Oh, I feel exhausted. Hello, potties. Hello, everyone. Congratulations yet again. that is in dog years? (laughs) Please don't talk about old dogs. It's a particularly touchy subject. I know, I know. At my house at the moment. Well, mine too. Yours is 16, mine is 17. In dog years, that makes Bearsie about 108 or 14 or something. I can't do my I don't, I don't buy that. I think it's different per dog. But anyway, <laughs> getting back to the show, uh, look, we've got a lot to talk about. There's so, so much has happened. Um, Australia is going through a particularly brutal and tragic time at the moment, particularly in New South Wales and Queensland. These bushfires are just so devastating and so terrifying. Um, we'll touch on that a little bit later, Corrie, but we must send a bit of a, uh, not a, a cheerio, sounds a bit glib to people who are suffering. Well, we're, thi- we're thinking of all uh, bushfire, not only bushfire victims, but all of the extraordinary people on the ground who are in emergency services. Uh, and a big, I think, bouquet to the um, to the New South Wales government and also all the Shire councils. I think they're just working as a united team. And we just wish you all the best through this difficult time. On a happier note, Corrie, we have our Christmas podcast coming up. Tuesday, we do. Tuesday. Have you booked your tickets, Kaz? <laughs> I'm there. I'm, well, hopefully I get in for free. <laughs> Corrie, I'm the talent and so are you. Now, and people are paying to see us. Now, you need to book into this event. It is Tuesday, December the 10th, 6.30 on the rooftop at Bell's Hotel in South Melbourne. You can email Tara via events at crocmedia. That is events at crocmedia.com or you can call Tara on 03825 6605. That's 03-8825-6605. Details are in our show notes in the Facebook page, and we really hope you come along. Peggy O'Neill, my hero, is our special guest, along with my mum, our great friend Anna from the Op Shop. Conrad Marshall is selling his book. The- Which happens to be about the Richmond Football Club. But look, if you don't barrack for Richmond, please do come along. There's, there's lots a lot of, of other, other stuff. Other there's stuff. lots of other stuff. Not a lot, but there's a lot that we'll be talking if about. If your team's lucky enough to win the flag again, Corrie, you can organise Clarko for next year and maybe oh, he can bring his guitar. Thanks very much. <laughs> uh, look, I would look forward to that. It's a bumpy show. Uh, you've got a fabulous recipe from an old school cookbook. I do. We've seen several films, but I have seen one that we have to talk about. Okay. Well, I want to talk about the one we saw last night too. But, Cara, before we go on any further, I want to uh, send a big loving bouquet and shirio to one of our podcast gang and a friend, Megan Rule. 
Megan has been going through, and she doesn't mind me saying this because I did ask, she's been going through what you call the cancer journey. She was diagnosed with breast cancer a few months ago and she has been um, going through chemo treatment and has uh, managed to reduce the size of her tumour, which is fantastic, and we wish her all the best. And I really miss her because she she helps out in the bookshop occasionally. Megan has put together this, Caro. I'm unpacking it. Oh, if I can undo it. I'm still getting over the outfit she wore for the publication of the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. That, remember, <laughs> she, she dressed up as a maiden. It was unbelievable. She's she's a good stick, the old Megan. And I have not opened this yet because she gave this to me last week and I said, do you mind if I don't open it until I actually present it to Cara because I want us both to receive the surprise. It is a collection of our recipes uh, that she has put together from 2017 to 2019. Oh, with uh, pictures. She has gone above and beyond the call of duty. And her note is so lovely, I thought I would read it to you um, if potties don't mind this indulgence. Dear Corrie, thank you to you and Caro for keeping me entertained during chemo and more particularly thanks to you for all your understanding and flexibility. I think that's referring to the work situation. I'll be back in 2020, hopefully better than ever. And... She said, you'll probably find a few typos in this, but thought it could be handy to have this recipe collated, uh, the recipes collated. Love, Megan. Well, Megan, it's not this just helpful. It's absolutely wonderful. It's a record of our podcast, 108 of Rose, Clem and Coco. It's you just, and I with Jock Sarong, just saying. It is just <laughs> the most wonderful product. And we wow. did talk about, or Megan suggested that maybe we should print it up, which would be fantastic, and give the proceeds to a charity of choice. My only concern about that is uh, copyright. I know that when um, when uh, people such as ourselves put together a recipe collection, there can be sometimes copyright because obviously you and I have used recipes mm-hmm. from Ottolenghi through to your mother through to whoever. So I just have to investigate that. But the we idea give them, we is, give them all credit. The idea is bubbling away, and I think if it's a not for profit situation, you can go ahead with this. But I will have to ask lawyer friends. But, Megan, in the first instance, for these two copies that you've given Caro and I, a big, huge kiss and hug, and we love you, and we just think this is a wonderful um, thing that we've done. More to come on that one. Um, Speaking of recipes, Corrie, Julie Houston, listen, for the first time today, according to her little message she sent us, and voila, actually, she listened to us in the shower, which is interesting. Do you listen to radio and podcasts in the shower? In my bath, I do all the time. Yeah, the bath, but... It's a bit hard in the shower. Oh, it's hard to hear, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I would have thought so. Unless you have speakers in the shower. I have, Some been, I have been told, turn the volume down, because I've been in the shower and I've had something way up. Yeah. Good on you, Julie. You made the Caesar salad recipe. Voila. Thanks for the inspiration. She enjoyed the banter and sent a lovely photo on Instagram. Thanks to Steph, who is always encouraging grandparents to buy less stuff for Christmas and birthdays. We get double whammy with my two kids born two weeks apart, either side of Christmas. Oh, my Lord, what a nightmare. Books are always a mainstay. And she agrees with me that they always make the best presents. Corrie, you and I agree. We do. Lots of lovely emails. Thank you very much. Before we get on to our big topic, because I will say that you and I went and saw Monica Lewinsky during the week speak. And 
I think we can talk a bit about that, even though at the time we weren't allowed to do anything naughty like tweet or send messages or take photos. Um, It had a profound effect on me, so I want to talk about that. But how is your November challenge going? I hold up the journal. You found one. You found found it. Yes, it's soft covered. It's uh, it is a moleskin. And it, it's one of the moleskins with the little squares. I can't remember what they're called, but anyway, I like to write in the little squares and I can draw house plans and things, which I often do when I'm feeling bored and do straight lines. So I have started keeping notes. Um, I'm not very good at it daily. I don't think anybody will ever be paying money for my diaries in 100 years' time because can we there get are no a, Can dates we get a line, an example of something you've written so far? No, not yet. I didn't know I was going to be doing public. Um, I have written this. Well, no, I'm not I, asking I have written for anything this. deeply personal. <laughs> well, I, I've written this note. This was from a couple of days ago. Instagram, why are women more obsessed than men? And why do women between 50 and 65 use it as a way of gathering family and friends' information? And this came to me because one of um, the kids' friends, uh, lovely Justine and Charlie, were married on the weekend. And, of course, everybody, you know, who I follow, their friends, but also mother of groom and so on, the Instagram photos. And it was just gorgeous to see the happiness and the frocks and all of that sort of stuff. But I thought there's lots of women out there my age who are turning to Instagram to keep in touch with children's friends or whatever it may be. Anyway, that was just a fickle thought. It sounds a bit like Carrie from Sex in the City. You're posing questions a bit in your journal. <laughs> well, we all, you remember when we all remember when we did the you know Sex in the City? Which character were we all? You were Carrie, weren't you? I was Carrie. Yeah, you were. We'll see. And you were Miranda from memory. I was not. Mar- oh, was I? You no, you were. Yeah, I think I was. Miranda. You were Miranda. What you didn't you? want to be Miranda. No, I didn't. And who was it who saw herself as? Um, who's the sexy one? Samantha. Samantha. I, was I, that Marjorie? I can't, I, can't remember. I can't remember. I don't think it was. I don't anyway, think it was going and how's, and how's your um, film well, going? Well, you know it's going very well. Um, I've, done, I've done two British Film Festival films now, and I went to one with you, and I'm going, going to another one with you today, and I've got four more after that that I've booked, and I might even squeeze in a couple more, but we both went and saw Official Secrets with Kira Knightley that actually headlined the Melbourne Film Festival as well, and I loved it. It was a story I didn't really know much about. The woman who basically um, leaked details of a memo that showed that um, the US government and the British government were sort of colluding mm. in Can we bribing... talk about this in film, though? No, but... no, no. I'm got, no, this is... We're talking about it now because it's my <laughs> challenge. I thought it was a brilliant film. I've got... I've got I've I got, did too. I've got George Michael's film to talk about in film. Oh. Everyone wants to know about that. All right. Catherine Gunn, who, who worked for... Um, British government who was a whistleblower on the Iraq war, what was the then going to be the stitching up of the votes in the United Nations by yep. the American government. And uh, gosh, what an impact her uh, whistleblowing had. And of course, she faced a court case where she could, where she was facing treason charges and could be thrown in the clink. I'm not going to give anything away, but Kira Knightley, Academy Award winning performance. Yeah, you said that. I th- she was very good. She was certainly very good. I don't know if, if it's I, Oscar I felt, worthy. I felt she carried the tension really well. She, Catherine Gunn at the time was 27. So Kira's a bit older than that, but went back into a 27 year old, slightly naive, very pas- politically passionate kind of space but so articulate when the time came, as Catherine Gunn was. You know, she was a highly educated, um, multilingual person. So I loved it. I thought it was a great film. I loved film. it too. Official Secrets, everybody and must I, go and see and it. And being us, we particularly love the um, 
the newspaper office scenes in the London Observer. Oh, didn't we? yes. Reese of Farns and D- yeah. D- despite the despite the ter- stereotypical fat editor who's grumpy and you know yes, and, and gives the reporters a hard time. Yeah, and um and the copy the copy woman who um, made a shocking mistake and yeah, no look it was it was it was a bit cliched the newspaper office stuff but it was fascinating. Yeah, and, and also a great cast too. Portrayed yeah yeah Ray Fiennes is in it. It's got a, ma- a massive cast. Jeremy Northam. So I would recommend that one, and we'll tell you all about Fisherman's Friends. Our next one. Next week. Oh, well, I'm gl- glad your challenge is going well. That's good. Well, I'm enjoying it. It's an easy, it's the most enjoyable challenge I've done. Certainly more fun than um, dry July or Feb fast. <laughs> <laughs> Corrie, you took me to Monica Lewinsky last weekend. Um, yes, declaring my uh, board membership on the Wheeler Centre. So I am a board member and I did take you as my guest. Having said that, I must also say huge bouquet and applause to the Wheeler Centre gang for putting together this two-day feminist festival, which culminated in the Monica Broad, Lewinsky. Broadside was well, it called? Broadside unashamedly was feminist. Yes, totally unashamedly. And lots of blokes in the audience too. But it was two days of extraordinary speakers, including Zadie Smith, one of my favourite authors, and Monica Lewinsky was the headline act at the very end on Sunday night. And boy, did she pack a punch, Caro. I see, thought, I've even made notes in my journal here. Well, you you started to take notes and then had to put it put your little notes away, didn't you? When we were sitting there. Well, wasn't it interesting? So, for those who weren't there, Monica Lewinsky at the start of it, the person introducing the event said, "I'd like you to respect Monica's wishes. This is an open forum. She wants to speak openly and freely. If you're thinking of taking notes or videoing this with your iPhone, or if there are any journalists in the room, could you please not? This is an off the record." situation. Monica then reiterated that halfway through her chat. But the minute that this was said, we all put our pens down and my little journal went back into my handbag. It did. And I just thought it was an extraordinary moment of collective support. Caro, what did you think of the Monica Lewinsky talk? Look, I absolutely loved it. I can't explain why it made why it made me emotional. I mean, I understand, and a couple of people I've spoken to since the event who had been to the whole weekend of events were sort of like they found her issues as a you know upper middle class white woman in a great job a, a bit of a first world problem in comparison with some of the stories that were told during the weekend. I mean, as they said, you know, that some of the stories about non-Western women, the violations of brutality and some of the shocking human rights offences that have been committed against them, it was a bit difficult to feel sorry for Monica compared with them. Now, I think comparisons are odious. I think that what happened to her in the context of... Um, Everything so many women I know have been through in the workforce was just like the absolute zenith of experiences in in every way. And um, I felt a little bit ashamed that I laughed at even one or two Monica jokes back in the day. I felt I felt ashamed that I'd watched that Barbara Walters interview and sort of thought Barbara had done a pretty good job. Um, looking back at some of the questions she asked and sort of shaming Monica really for um, expecting to keep her job, I felt disgusted at Bill Clinton, which I did at the time, I thought she seemed damaged. Mm, and that was the word you and I said at the end, wasn't it? And and yet and she was but yet she was beautiful, a very attractive, very engaging sort of speaker. Part of the reason for her coming out to Australia was to really promote this anti bullying 
and public shaming adventure that she's on or this journey. And she's working with not-for-profits and they've created a couple of mini films and commercials and so on. Which were fantastic. And she played them and they were brilliant. But it's all about the youth of America. So, so there's some extraordinary figure. USA Today did a survey of 1,400 parents and asked them, do you think your children are being bullied uh, via their iPhones? And 87% of parents said yes. There's some form of bullying has been going on, or I know it's going on, which is extraordinary. So this is Monica's new crusade. This is her thing. And I think that if she can go around the world, and I don't care if she gets paid for these or she's not doing it for payment, if, well, she, tur- she, if she turns up and, and, and makes all of us think for a moment and uses her own personal experience in a good way, she's really evolved. But you and I did turn to each other at the at the very end of that and say, oh, she is damaged. She's not. She's not married. Um, she has, she doesn't have any children. She refuses to talk about her romantic life, which I think is absolutely fair enough. And she didn't even talk about marriage or anything. I only know that because I Googled her afterwards. But if anybody's interested in, in um, having an up close and personal with Monica Lewinsky, she did a fabulous TED Talk in 2015. Just tap into your computer, Monica TED Talk 2015. And she says in that TED Talk, not a day goes by when I'm not reminded of my mistake and I regret that mistake completely. I'd love to know what would happen now if the public shaming would be more on the most powerful man in the world and not the 24-year-old girl who fell in love with the wrong man. I tell you what, there might be a massive payout compensation for it these days. And there's never been an apology. No. Or any acknowledgement at all. I know you're a big fan of Hillary and you loved her book and everything, but I've, I've... there's something about her that I've never been quite, I've never been all that mad on. Obviously, I would have rather, I'd rather she had won the election than Donald Trump, but I'm disgusted by, I'm disgusted by the family and their response to this whole scandal. I really am. Well, I, well, we know for a fact that a lot of women voters were turned against Hillary, both when she went for the president, when, when she went for the candidacy in 2007, 2008, and then when she went for it again more recently against Donald Trump. A lot of feminists cannot let go of the fact that she stayed by her man, but more particularly has never spoken about it and never told the truth and never acknowledged what Monica Lewinsky went through. Well, yeah, I don't think. I mean, I'm a bit of a, you know Claudia Schiffer. Never exp- no, it's not. It's Kate Moss, isn't it? Never complain, never explain. She never says anything, and it's worked for her very well. I don't mind that, but that collective sort of ganging around and treatment of this woman just oh, just absolutely horrendous. So, yep, no, it was a yeah, it was a, it was a real eye opener, and I'm not sure things will have changed that much. But as she said, why did people blame a 24 year old girl? It was just terrible. And not and, the most powerful man in the world. And it's funny, as she was speaking, I was thinking of my responses also to Lindy Chamberlain. Isn't it interesting how, you know, we, we through these remarkable, you know, and articulate people, we rethink history It's so, and our responses to it. It's really interesting. Um, if anybody wants to see Monica Lewinsky's latest video, it's called Epidemic. So just again, type in Monica Lewinsky and Epidemic and it will come up really worth having a look at. Did you uh, watch the Tony Abbott farewell tribute. Um, it was on in Sydney last week. I can't say that it would be top of my viewing, especially with Alan Jones as the MC, Caro. No, no. Not no. really my cup of well, tea. Well, I'm not surprised he was the MC. And, and Peter Dutton is one of the speakers. I mean, I wouldn't yes. mind listening to John Howard because he's always good, but really... There's something, there is something engaging, more engaging about Tony Abbott than there is about Peter Dutton. I mean, he's a very good speaker and performer. And, you know, when he said, oh, gee, imagine if I'd won, you know, and all of that. The, the story of um, 
the group that got together and funded in the Zali Stegel takeover of his seat is a wonderful. I mean, it's a great story, and it's it's a stuff of documentaries now. Yeah, there's I know. an Australian story on it, yeah. or was it Four Corners? I can't yeah, remember. No, I think it was Four Corners. <coughs> but um, look, he just you never you never felt that Tony Abbott retired gracefully, and that we thought that was going to be so destructive for Scott Morrison. As it turned out, it wasn't, and now you know people are giving him half the credit, which I don't think he really deserves. Um, and there were there was references to Malcolm Turnbull, who's writing a book, isn't it? Yes, he is. His book's due next year. It was due just before Christmas, but I'm, I'm not sure why it's taken a bit longer. Oh, I wonder. Mm, I think it's Feb- uh, March or April. Would you read it? Publisher. Oh gosh, yes. I love a good political bio. Yeah, I love a good one. There are a lot of dud ones, but oh, I, there are a lot of dud ones. I, I think that um, you know that they all. Take a, they're all hopeless at retiring gracefully. I think John Howard retired pretty gracefully. But I, maybe, I think Julia Gillard has, Caro. Yes, no, that's true. And occasionally when she does speak, you listen. Paul Keating disappeared, if you recall. He disappeared off the face of the earth for a few years there, but then came back you know, via the opinion pages of usually the Fairfax media. He's a good... <laughs> and, and now he loves stirring the pot. But he yeah. disappeared for a I, few I'm years. I'm enjoying him as an elder statesman. Um, now, the, the other um, thing that happened last week was that um, Labor put out their review of what went wrong. It's Which, interesting that it takes six months to work out what went wrong. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> and I think, I think they nailed it, didn't they? There were a couple of absolutely shocking policies and nobody, well, <laughs> nobody might, liked Bill Shorten. You might recall last week I said my grumpy was going to be Kevin Rudd. I was just furious with Kevin, just didn't waste a second coming out to say why he thought <laughs> what he thought had gone wrong. And basically no one liked Bill Shorten. But I was like, Kevin, now there's a, there's a Prime Minister who has not retired gracefully. <laughs> no, no, he's... He, or no. disappeared into the background. Uh, look, Caro, I think that... That, any, a lot, that had a lot to do with the way he was exited, which was pretty weird when you look back. Any organi- it might have been a nightmare to deal with, but the Australian public had a right to go, what the hell is going yeah, on What is here? going on? True. He seemed to I, be I think, doing an okay job. I think any organisation that does a big 360 of itself when it's had a mishap or a misadventure or something terrible has happened, uh, or in this case, a defeat an unexpected electoral defeat, you've got to look and see where have we gone wrong. Apparently, Anthony Albanese, who as soon as he was elected, uh, the opposition leader was very chatty and very out there and very trying to put his stamp on it. He has gone quiet, if you've noticed, in the last few weeks. And I understand from listening to Laura Tingle the other night on radio, her sense of it is that Albo is... Um, gathering and harnessing all of the information that that report has concluded and he is processing it and he realises that Labor has to find its mojo again and has to find its core philosophy because they've drifted. And so he's decided or his gang has decided that until they actually get this, you know, defining philosophy right, let's just kind of disappear a bit. You haven't heard a lot from the opposition in recent weeks if you think about it. No, no, I've... I am fascinated. Just getting back to Bill, though, why he is so adamant that he will be—he'll be a politician forever. You wouldn't have thought he might give something else a try. Well, I, I mean, he's highly ambitious. I, is it, is I it, do. I do think, for, you know, for for all that we have said and all the negatives that we have said, and indeed the electorate, the electorate of Australia decided they didn't like Bill Shorten. For everything that everybody said, I do think that he has at his heart um, a sense of public duty. And public service, and I think. Do you? The, yeah, I, I do. I know you're looking at me like I'm an idiot, but I, I, 
I don't. I, I think he probably realizes that the ambition of being a leader of the party is over. But I think he still sees himself as a career politician. Well, clearly, but I just wonder why. I think you sound a bit like Pollyanna. You <laughs> said You're that being... earlier. Didn't you? <laughs> no, no, that's an interesting take on it. Now, can I tell you about my crush of the week? Please do. Is it another Richmond footballer, Caro? Uh, well, it was going to be Samantha Kerr because I'm so impressed by that $600,000 deal. $600, deal. Mm. She has struck in um with uh, premier with european with british soccer i should say she's it's it's a great club she's going to be an absolute out, outstanding leader in that space not only for australian women's australian sports women but sports women around the world but i think i'm going to um pay credit to my mother-in-law Moira Donohue, who died a couple of weeks ago mary monica Kennelly, who married ted eddie Donohue, and um as you know, um, we said goodbye to Maura the other day at a beautiful service in Anglesey and you um, made the effort to come down, which was very kind of you. And Brendan, my husband, spoke about this, you know, young girl, young woman at 21 who really, because she'd won, I think she'd, she became a 10-pound pom even though she came from she the she won the soccer pools. Yeah, which, and she won 10 pounds and that was how much she had to pay the um, embassy in London to get passage out here. It's and, serendipitous, that, isn't it? And, you know, she chose Australia over Canada and South America and um, the US because, partly because she had friends, great family friends here, but also because um, she was a very, she was a widely read and she loved Charles Dickens. And Charles Dickens had a fascination, first of all, with um, people who were sent to Australia as convicts, but then about people who'd made good in Australia, like what's his name, um, Mad- Madgewick from Great Expectations. Mm, yes. So, and he was fascinated by it. Was it Lord Hamilton? Or, no, who was the, um, I'll think about it, the um, oh, governor of Tasmania? Yes, who, who and, and that. That brilliant book, Waiting by, um, by Richard Flanagan. Wanting. Wanting. Yeah, wanting or Waiting? Wanting. Okay, Wanting. Absolutely brilliant novel, which is two stories. Mm. One of the um, Indigenous girl in Tasmania and also about Charles Dickens and his very weird life in London. Anyway, um, Vale Moira, she was a wonderful mother-in-law, an amazing grandmother and um, such an interesting woman, pillar of the local community, the bowls club, the golf club, the local op shop, the local the local community centre, Anglehook, so many parts of Anglesey she was involved in. Moira is the sort of person that you want to be, actually. She was really connected to her community. She was a loving mother, a fabulous wife. She raised four great children and has an extended family, you know, you, your kids, all of them. Uh, Hats off to her. Uh, I first met Moira just before you were married all those years ago and I fell in love with her and Ted's Irish accent. I just thought it was so charming and it was an honour, Caro, to spend our funny cobbled together Christmas day together last year. Yes, her last Christmas, which you really enjoyed. Which was really fun and to show her my two granddaughters. She thought they were rather cute, as if she hasn't seen enough babies in her lifetime. But when you say, uh, you know, to go to, you know, thank you for going to a funeral, of course we go to these services without even thinking about it because, you know, we love and care about you guys who are left behind and we want to honour the person who's died. And I just have so many fond memories of Moira. I've known through you what a great, fabulous grandmother she's been and a great mother-in-law to you. You were particularly close. So um, I think that's a very good crush of the week. Well, um, 
And her story, no, no, her story 93, does re- 93 is, is a good innings and as sad, as sad as it is. And when it's a bit less raw, we might have a conversation about funeral etiquette. Let's do that. But just quickly before you go, Brendan made a beautiful eulogy. And as he was talking the other day, Carrot, Moira's story reminded me so much of Brooklyn by Colm Toybin, the young Irish girl who leaves the village and goes to the new world to make good. It just, it really was just in my head the whole time Brendan was talking. Yeah, happily, there was only one man for her, not two, <laughs> who she met at the local dance in Strathmore. Now, uh, it's time for BSF, Corrie. I'm right at the end of the most fabulous book. And, well, it's um, about time because this was your October challenge and I, I think know. you're still reading your way through that. I know, I know. I've been a bit slack about reading lately. I don't know why. But um, look, this is a great book and um, I'm not sure if you've read it or not, The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker. No, but it was shortlisted for the Booker Prize and quite a few of our gang, including staff who've read it and and um, good bookworms who come to the shop say that they feel it should have won the Booker Prize this year. Really? Mm. Real well I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I actually bought it um bought it in London when I was with you, that brief time in London earlier this year. The woman at that lovely little bookshop that I went to said, If you like that you have to buy this. I was so and, offended um, when you came back from that bookshop because we parted company for a couple of hours and you said, I've just met this great book so she's and I felt like I what about me? Well, well, you, you're travelling with the great bookseller and then yeah. some lady behind the counter says, oh, I think you should try this. Oh, okay, that sounds good. Corrie, if you don't mind me saying, everywhere, we're in Cornwall. We, we're in that beautiful village of four. You never took your nose out of the bookshop. You were almost taking over from that lovely lady by the time we I was met. asking her about her special orders and did she know Daphne oh, Jamoria? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> anyway, um, this is The Silence of the Girls is by Pat Barker, who wrote the Regeneration Trilogy, which people say they've gone back to, that wonderful, very gruelling and War. upsetting World War I trilogy um, about basically about what was once known as hill shock, among other things. But um, people say it, it loses a bit um, in the rereading. I'm not sure. I, I'm surprised about that. But this is basically the story of Troy through the eyes of the women. And um, one particular princess who has been um, the queen, I should say, who has, you know, the Greeks come in, take over Troy. Is this Helen of Troy? No, no, it's not Helen. Um, Helen is Helen is part of the story. But um, look, I, I won't go into a huge amount of detail, but it, it is so dramatic and so sad and so beautifully written and it turns history on its head. Is it violent? It, oh, yeah. It's shocking, shocking, quite shocking. And um, I tell you what, Achilles, the, the um, it makes it clear from the very beginning that Achilles is not a hero. He's a butcher and a rapist. And um, it's, um, oh, look, but it's, it's not. Take it's, that, Achilles. It's, all, it's also a, a, just a great adventure. And it, it's, it's quite, it was a brilliant idea, brilliantly executed and a wonderful novel. I mean, I've, I read the Iliad absolutely years and years ago and I studied Greek and Roman. So, I mean, a lot of the names are um, very familiar, but everything's turned on its head and it's great. Mm, well, in this week of uh, Feminist Revisited, it's a good book to read. And um, from the sublime to the ridiculous, um, on a rainy day last week, um, our friend Annie and I snuck in to see Last Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> which is um, the other new production with you're Emma both Thompson. A, you're both a couple of tragics. Well, Annie, even Annie was like... Look, of, of the I've wonderful just a, feast of fabulous movies and you go and see that. Well, time was on the wing. We, were, we had time. We had to edit our selection by time. What am I saying? I was desperate to see this film. I would have seen it anyway. It was really enjoyable. 
Oh, good. It's written by Emma Thompson, who you love. And Emma Thompson plays the mother of a girl. She has an accent in the shorts. She's, yeah, she's Yugoslavian. Russian. Oh, okay. She's Yugoslavian, and she's a pain in the neck Yugoslavian. It's And she also co-wrote the film. It's directed by the guy who did Bridesmaids. It's basically the George Michael back catalogue. George Michael gave the film his blessing when um, he was still alive and Emma went and met him. And then when um, Emma's friend, the director, when um, he agreed to do it, they just dropped everything and did it. It's not for weddings and a funeral. It's not quite um, love, actually, but it's a wonderful story. It's a Christmas fairy tale. And you know who's in it, that really handsome actor who was in Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy. Faye, I think, was the guy, the director you're trying to think of, his name? Yes, that's right? right. That's right. Um, and, yeah, but um, the actor who's in Crazy, uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Henry Asian. Golding. Oh, he's so handsome. Yeah, uh, he's, he's not my favourite actor, I've got to say. It's full of Crazy Rich Asians. It's also got Michelle Yeoh, who played one of the mothers in yes. Crazy. And she is like the other mother figure to the main character, who's played, his name is Kate, but she's played by um, Amelia Clark, who, if you watch Game of Thrones, which I still haven't done, it's a complete different role for her. The, originally, they were going to just have five or six George Michael songs. Well, they've gone full wham. I mean, there's about 50. Wham. It's just a beautiful London fairy tale, and I would recommend it. I wouldn't overthink it. I would definitely say to go and see Last Christmas. And guess what? I cried in that too. Oh. Doing a lot of crying this week. Big week for crying. You've got a recipe. Kick us off. I do. So, Caro, this is an old recipe of mine and I'm having a bit of a lunch on Saturday and I was looking for something for pass around food and I went back to this old kids' school recipe book from, I reckon this came out in about 1995 or 1996. And in it, lo and behold, Cory Perkin mother of somebody in 3B and 2S at the time. <laughs> this is an oldie but a goodie, and I haven't cooked it for years, and I'm going to so cook you're it on admiring, Saturday. So you admired your own work, your old work? <laughs> no, that doesn't. Good. That's good. I'm, um, I love going through the old school cookbooks because people really make an effort, don't they? Well, people do, and also it's a bit showy-offy, like, you know, how, how clever can you? I mean, there's Beryl's Borscht, named after the then headmistress. But what about so, Beryl's Borscht when it's actually someone else's? Well, that's right. Well, you there's see, a bit uh, of that in our old school Well, cookbook. yeah, and I have to confess that this recipe, which is crostini with chicken livers, anchovies and capers, did come from, from memory, an old Vogue entertaining at the time. Oh, so that's I'm right. not claiming. Now, vegetarians, I'm sorry, this is not one for you, but we have done lots of vegetarian recipes over the time, so... Um, just uh, bear with us for a moment. Crostini with chicken livers, anchovies and capers. And I've said here, Caro, so easy and perfect with drinks or as a luncheon or dinner entree. There you go. <laughs> 500 grams of chicken livers trimmed and cleaned. Two tablespoons of butter. Half a cup of fresh chicken stock. Please make your own if you can. Two to four anchovy fillets, depending on your taste. One tablespoon of capers, cracked black pepper and then a breadstick and lots of fresh parsley. Super easy here. Melt the butter in the wok or fry pan, add the livers and cook for two minutes, stirring with a wooden spoon. Add chicken stock and cook for another three minutes. Remove livers and place on a chopping board with anchovy fillets and capers. Chop the whole lot together, then return it to the pan with a little extra butter. Cook for another minute. Remove from the heat. Grill the bread on both sides and then top the liver mixture and fresh parsley and serve warm. And, of course, as we will be doing now, so it's like pate. Crack, cracked pepper all over Is it. Is it like pate, sort yes, of? Yes, but it's chunkier than that. So it's like chopped liver. <laughs> 
What am I? What am I? Chopped liver. I love chopped liver. <laughs> I love chopped liver. It is basically chopped liver. But you know what? If I if I passed it around on Saturday and I said to everybody, "Would you like a chopped liver sandwich?" They'd all go. Bleh. They would. But <laughs> if you just pass it around, they'll love it. Well, I'm going to call it crostini with chicken livers, anchovies and capers, Caro. Anyway, can I just say this is a ripper of a recipe. And I know that we talked last week, I said I would bring in the salad Lyonnaise dressing recipe. I tried to find it this morning in my fug. I could not find it. So I will bring that in in the next week or two. Promise, promise. Because I've had a couple of queries about that recipe. And also one of uh, one of our potty listeners came into the shop and had been trying to find your salad dressing that you mentioned. Oh, yeah. the, oh the Cardini. Yeah, the Cardini's, yes. Yeah. So if anybody knows where to get it IGA, in Melbourne. IGA, go to an IGA supermarket. Okay, Cardini's. All right, I'll tell the potty that. Yep. Caro, I'm grumpy. And the reason I'm grumpy today is, uh, well, partly because politics has come into the bushfire situation, which at times of strife and um, loss of life and loss of livestock and property is not a good thing. However... You can't really ignore that. You can't, you can't ignore the politics. I am particularly grumpy about an interview that I heard on... Monday this week on Radio National between Hamish MacDonald, who's currently hosting the Breakfast Program, and the Deputy Prime Minister, Michael McCormack. I thought it was an absolutely appalling response by the Deputy Prime Minister, Hamish MacDonald. Of course, they talked about, you know, they did the tic-tacs on what was happening, the latest updates. The Deputy Prime Minister, of course, had an opportunity to thank and and pay tribute to all the emergency services, da-da-da-da, all that sort of stuff. And then Hamish MacDonald mentioned climate change. And he said, you know, why are you so upset at people raising the question of climate change and it's linked to the drought and the conditions that have enabled these fires to take hold so fast? And the Deputy Prime Minister, Mr McCormack, then went off, I would suggest. I'm trying to keep my bipartisan hat on here and not be too political, but he talked about that we don't need the ravings of some capital city greenies at this time and then referred to Adam Bant, the Green Senator, and others as inner city raving lunatics. He took it in a political direction. Hamish was trying to address the climate change situation and then, of course, he he absolutely just floored McCormick when he mentioned this letter that 22 former Emergency services officials have written to the government saying we seek a meeting to discuss climate change and bushfire threat. And they've written twice now to the government and they've had no response. So I think in this situation, it was okay to ask that question. And I think the Deputy Prime Minister trying to fob it off and put it all back on Adam Bance, who probably inappropriately came out last Saturday a bit too early out of the blocks to yeah, make the Some link. of the name calling was a bit unedifying when people yeah. were calling each other arsonists and words. Yes, and I wish he hadn't on both sort of... Sides. Yeah, and I wish Adam, Adam Bant had... Bant, yeah, but, but well, yeah. whoever, yes. And so I just wish they hadn't necessarily gone down that path so early. However, I think the reporter in this situation, it was totally appropriate he asked the question and I just thought the response was really inadequate. So that's my grumpy. Well, let's hope the dust settles sort of fairly soon. And um, we can have a proper conversation about this. And when I say the dust settles, that this shocking situation starts to calm down a bit because it's just so terrifying. Um, we can't we can't be grumpy twice. But I just want to throw in um, the ABC's mistake in um, allowing the identities of the rape and sexual abuse victims in Tracy yes. Spice's forthcoming documentary to be accidentally revealed. To the, I'm, not, I'm not laughing. As a pre, but as a preview to journalists, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. D- yeah it, hasn't got, it hasn't gone to air yet. But No, but um, one of the victims is particularly upset and I don't oh, blame her. I don't blame her either. It'll be interesting to see that show. Now it's time for six quick questions. Corrie, which three cod- podcasts, three 
do you recommend if people want to stay up to speed on the American presidential impeachment process? Well, first of all, everybody should be because this is history in the making. If you thought Watergate was fascinating, hold on to your hats. This is going to be better. There are lots of podcasts I would suggest, Caro, but three in particular. One, Deadline White House. This is hosted. This is an MSNBC television program every day. It go, Monday to Friday it goes to air and it is hosted by former George Bush media advisor Nicole Wallace. That's Nicole with two L's. Just punch in her name, Deadline White House. She has a Republican background, but she has a panel of people on all sides, journalists, advisors, so on, who um, come on her program and she is just like a dog with a bone with this Trump presidency. The second one would be Article 2 Impeachment, again an NBC News uh, podcast put together by national political correspondent Steve Camacci and 12 episodes so far and it's just its focus is only the impeachment. It's not looking at all of the political ramifications and so on and, and or Democrat, you know, um, candidacies or anything like that. It is just about the impeachment and it is fascinating. And the third one is called Hacks on Tap, Caro. And this I love is, all these titles. Yeah, Hacks, Hacks on Tap is one of my favourites at the moment. Do you think Don't Shoot the Messenger cuts the mustard when it comes? I think we've got a great name. <laughs> yeah, I do uh, too. Um, this is, Hacks on Tap is uh, hosted by David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Mike Murphy is a former political advisor to the Republican Party and David Axelrod is a former special advisor to President Obama. So we've got Mr. Left and Mr. Right. They are good friends in real life. They are funny. They are articulate. They are so smart. And as we know with advisors, they do a, they kind of sit above the whole political, um, you know, global sphere and they, um, they hover above the organization and they report just so succinctly about what's happening. Highly recommend it. And a special mention, of course, to Pod Save America. Um, Caro, the ABC's decision to pull out of live coverage of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, are you a little bit angry or a lot angry? Oh, I'm shocked. I mean, this is a shocking decision and one that hopefully the ABC will rescind. Um, This is the national broadcaster, government-funded, whose job, I would have thought, was to report on our national team when they're competing in the world's biggest international event. It is an extraordinary decision. And talk about a free hit for Scott Morrison. If he do, Why he hasn't come out more strongly already, but to come out and just put his foot down and say, you're doing it, you're covering it. I, I'm absolutely horrified by it. I feel really sad for people like Alistair Nicholson and, and all the commentators who would go over and cover this. And I feel sorry for people who live in rural Australia who are going to miss out, who rely on the ABC. I'm, I'm sure that there will, I'm, I'm hoping there will be a backflip. And speaking of backflips, um, you might remember last week that Stephen Beers, the general manager of 3AW, was removed um, a couple of by Sydney in part of this sort of Macquarie Radio coup that's happening. Um, everyone's absolutely devastated by such a long-serving employer of the company who went on to become general manager, just being removed. I think Ross Stevenson actually had a go on air. 3AW Breakfast host Ross Stevenson had a go on air about the fact there's no management at the moment. I was going to say, is there Melbourne. going to be an, an, a Melbourne manager or are they going to do it from Sydney? Well, watch this space. Maybe Stephen Beers will come back. Oh, good. And if Stephen Beers comes back, then the ABC can cover the Olympics. Corrie, um, would you buy tickets to a musical about the six wives of Henry VIII? What on, where do you get these questions from? Clearly well, there's one coming up, is there? From your paper, Caroline. <laughs> it was in The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald the other day. I didn't even know. Apparently this 
apparently this musical, I've just got to find the name of it, it's called Six, and it's a West End hit, apparently. Sounds and great. It's coming, I go every day of the it's week. It's coming to Australia, and it says of the six uh, female leads, they're like six Beyonce's. That's the magic about it. It's such a group effort. Each one of the girls in their own way is the best version of themselves, which is kind of unique. Oh, what a lame quote is that. I don't want to see The Six Wives of Henry VIII as a musical. It was a, an extraordinary moment in, in British history with incredible ramifications, i.e. birth of the Church of England, Britain's, Why Britain's break away from Rome, about it? a couple of you know beheaded queens. Yeah, I, but... Just, no, a musical. Well, there's been plays, there's been dramas, there's been operas. Why would you see it a not, musical? If it's an opera with the gravitas of an opera and the dramatic quality of an opera, yes, but not a musical. And Beyonce, they're, they're like six Beyonces. Well, that, that's, I don't, don't want to see. The, I don't want to see Anne Boleyn as Beyonce. Just because the review is a pink, I wouldn't worry okay. about that. No, I think it's it coming to the great. Opera House in January, so you can we've, fly up and see we've it. We've seen far. We've seen a lot of really serious stories. I mean, come from a way that's been doing great business here in Melbourne, which is basically based on nine eleven. Hands off the six wives, Carol. Oh, I th- <laughs> thank you. Being a little bit precious, Corrie, if you don't mind me saying. Um, Caro, is there an American show on TV? If there is an American show on TV and a British one, which one do you choose? And are you more of an Anglophile in your popular culture well, taste? What you know you the think? answer to that. You know the answer to that. If it's um, UK versus US, UK every day of the week. I don't know why. I don't know why it is. And as I get older, no, I'm not saying, you know, I'm sitting at home glued every night to Midsummer Murders or Poirot, although... On a rainy day, I might just, you know. So you sit- prefer Steptoe and Son to All <laughs> in the Family with Archie Bunker? I pr- certainly prefer. No, I, American comedies are probably a bit more than British. Although I did love Doctor in the House. Anyway, I'll go UK Doctor every day of the week. <laughs> they were so stupid, all those shows. And gee, historically, they've lost a lot. <laughs> On the buses, it still makes me laugh. I'm so sad that Richmond's lost Dan Butler because Brendan won't be able to yell in my ear, I'll get you, Butler, every time Dan <laughs> Butler kicks a goal. I don't know what it is, but BBC first on Foxtel is my go-to every day of the week. So it's like back to the home country for you. That's it. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Now, Corrie, at what point do you bring an in-law into the family WhatsApp? Well, we were having a discussion with a few of our buds about this recently, weren't we, Caro? It's interesting, isn't it? At what point do you say to your son or daughter's partner, would you like to join the family WhatsApp? I'd just join them. Can't you just do it? Well, yes, but maybe they don't want to be bogged down with all your family stuff. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's but well, it one, but one of one of the one of the ladies said that they've introduced her son's partner because usually it's women who do the social organising. Massive generalisation. Sorry to the blokes out there who organise the Christmas gifts mm. and the mother-in-law's birthday and everything. But usually the women gender folk- profiling, Corrie, not something <laughs> we approve of and don't choose. Often it's women who do the social organising. Tell like me if I'm wrong, Carol. Like, yeah, well, certainly in my house it is. So the women folk are the ones on the WhatsApp who tend to say, you know, Christmas this year, who's doing the Kringle, who's making the ham, you know, that kind of thing. So I can see that it has points, but interesting to ask at what point. I'm not sure. I think that has to just be a personal choice. But it was a fascinating convo, I have to say. Caro, what's your GLT? Oh, now with apologies to our friend Mary, who um, took me there the other day. This is a classic GLT, and you have got to get there. Aziz Bakery, Maybe. Glen Huntley Road, Elstonwick. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, it's oh, great. The spinach pie, the best thirty dollars you'll ever spend, and that's for the big one. It'll, I mean, you can feed about, I well, more than ten, twelve people, I reckon. 
It is so full of spinach. The pastry is so incredible. I'm told the mushroom one is equally good. There's a whole lot of savoury pies. There's obviously a lot of sweet stuff. It is just a crowded... From memory, they have an amazing baklava. Uh, didn't see the baklava. Didn't well, see that. Well, they used that. to because I've served that at a dinner party pretending I made it. No one would have believed you. <laughs> Who makes baklava? I'm sorry. <laughs> Certainly not you or me. <laughs> I, I had a Greek stepfather. You can get smaller ones, bigger ones. And, there, you know, Sweet Greek at the Paran Market has amazing baby spinach and feta roll and pastry thingies, which I just adore. They're tiny, and that's okay with your coffee for breakfast. But mm, this, I can feel maybe the December challenge might be going on a diet. This Caro. spinach pie is unbelievable. So that's my GLT, Corrie. And that's it. That's the show for this week. A reminder again, we have a Christmas podcast coming up. It's a live Christmas celebration. It's at Bell's Hotel. We're on the rooftop. Drinks, food, Tuesday, December the 10th, 6.30pm kickoff, all over by 8.30. Um, our special guests include Peggy O'Neill, Richmond's hero, Anna from the Op Shop, and my mother, Julia Wilson, Corrie and I. Please, Can I, can I just jump in there, Caro? And a number of people who have said they've booked tickets, what a great crowd. It seems like everybody I love and know is coming, but other people, like just people coming into the bookshop who are just full of joy, who just say, yeah, I've booked, I've booked. It's very fun. Well, it's be fun it, it is going to be fun, and we're looking forward to meeting lots, lots of new people too. So email Tara. T-A-R-A via events at crocmedia.com or call Tara on 03-8825-6605. Tell your friends and family to subscribe to our podcast. There are details, particularly of Corrie's chopped liver, what is she, <laughs> recipe on, her, on our Facebook page and in the you're, event you're, listing. You're very mean to me, you know. I think it's a wonderful recipe, but I think it's quite funny that what it is is chopped liver and it sounds absolutely beautiful. Please send your feedback, comments, tips and suggestions to the Don't Shoot, the Messenger Facebook page. And as I said, follow us on Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod. We tweet, just join at Don't Shoot Pod. And we only do nice tweets, Monica, not mean ones. And you can email us, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger, Carol.